get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Character, And if you listen every day, you're aware that last week, uh, Michelle, actually earlier this week, uh, dropped a laptop computer on her toe <laughs> and hurt it. And sh- so she walked in limping several days and there, there was a lot of pain and a, a lot a big bruise, right? It was kind of ugly. It remains ugly. Okay. Yes. We thought it was broken. Um, I'm so graceful, you know, just dropping <laughs> dropping a laptop on my toe. It's just such well, a classic. Well, it fell out of a bag. It's an excusable drop. It is, but it's such a classic smallman move. I'm always bumping into things. I'm always banged, bruised up, you know, scraped up. It's just very classic me. <laughs> Did you, by the way, just we'll, we'll get to you with this. Do you remember the story last fall when in Philadelphia, uh, Nelson Aguilar caught a baby that was coming out of the window, and somebody said they witnessed and said, "Yeah," or, or no, somebody caught the baby. Said, "Yeah, I caught it. I'm not like Nelson Aguilar." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay, well, that's me. I, I am. I am Aguilar. I dropped it on my toe, um, but I thought it was broken. And we have, of course, the best listeners in sports, and they were like, "Hey, just tape it to your other toe. That's the best route." So I went home that day. I elevated it. I iced it up. I kind of smushed it together with my my other toe. And as the day have passed, it's still bruised, it still looks ugly, but it's definitely feeling better. So I think we may have avoided a break and just have a bad bruise, but it's going to be so beautiful in St. Louis today, Randy. I'm taking this toe out on a test drive. I like it. I'm going to go on a walk or something. I'm going to just really get outside. The importance of the toe is highly underrated. Turf toe, when Deion Sanders first ended his career before he came back with the Ravens, turf toe ended his career. So it can have a major effect on even a normal person's ability, let alone a pro athlete, it can ruin a pro athlete. Do you think toes are the thumbs of the foot? They are, yeah. You have to have them. Because I did, a fun fact, Randy, a science experiment in grade school that won me a blue ribbon on the importance of the opposable thumb. What I did was I taped down my thumbs and had to go about basic daily activities. And the opposable thumb, we don't talk enough about the opposable thumb. Very crucial to our daily lives. That's a great point. And you did that before you were texting. That's correct. I Imagine texting without your thumb. You can't, you can't do, do it. Well, you'd have to do the pointer finger. Yeah, or you have to do st- talk to text, which is annoying anyway, That's and they the always worst. mess it up. Yeah. Hey, we're going to talk about what uh, the Cardinal Chairman Bill DeWitt said yesterday in our next segment, but we're at least getting quick proposals and counteroffers from Major League Baseball, and right now, Major League Baseball has made a proposal to MLB for a season of 89 games unacceptable to the owners with a full prorated share unacceptable to the owners. Jeff Passan reporting this last night. I think it gets us, Scott, into the vicinity of what somebody earlier today called 
the deal zone. And I know we have been talking literally for months about this now. And as somebody else earlier today told me, these are the offers that should have been made back in April, not in June. And yet here we are, the MLBPA offering 89 games coming down from their 114 games and looking still for the full prorated salary. You seem exasperated. Today is going to be a beautiful day in St. Louis, Randy. I'm choosing to be positive, and I'm going to listen to the first part of the passing cut and not the second part. It's easy to get really stuck on the fact that he said, and he is correct, that these are the deals that should have been presented in April, not in June. We should never have gone months going back and forth and bickering both sides when you could have presented a deal like this in June. Come on. We, we could have avoided a lot of headaches and a lot of bad PR. And interestingly, this all started with people like Mike Trout and uh, Snell from Tampa Bay saying that it was about health. Well, we're seeing a resurgence now in the number of COVID-19 hospitalizations and cases per 100,000. But Passon has an interesting take on that. The more conversations I've had with players over the last week or so, the more I've come to understand that the full prorated salary is not the most important thing for them. It is more or less the only thing for them at this point. And I understand, listen, there are other issues. There's health and safety and, you know, they have expanded playoffs that they can give to Major League Baseball as a carrot. But in the end, the players say no matter how long the season is, we want our full pro rata. Pretty disingenuous of the players, and I get how they want to be compensated fully for what's in their contract. But health and safety still has to be an issue here. If they're paying any attention at all, their own health and safety has to take precedence over getting their full prorated salary. Now, might be tied for first, as Tony would say, but I don't see how you can completely dismiss COVID-19 at the moment. I don't think you should, but I think we've gotten to the stage of these negotiations where both sides are so dug in on the money part that they've lost focus of what got us here in the first place, which is a pandemic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a pandemic. There are still so many obstacles that need to be overcome if and when this does happen. If once teams do get together and do spring training 2.0, there's going to be a lot of things in reference to the pandemic that need to be focused on. But I think that that they just don't care. I, I appreciate appreciate Jeff Passan saying, hey, it's all about the money at this point, because that's how we felt watching this play out for months. So the fact that they're at least admitting it, admitting it at this point is at least a little positive, because I was sick of the, oh, we're going to bicker about money, but under the health and safety umbrella. Yeah. You know, just be honest. Yeah. And ultimately, Passan thinks that players will get their full salary, but he's still in the dark as to how many games it's going to take for them to get their full salary. I think they're going to get it. I just don't know if it's going to be over 70 or 72 games or over 48 games. And that's the big question at this point. Even though we're in the deal zone, are the owners going to recognize that the players are not bluffing on this? The owners are entrenched too. Yes, the players aren't bluffing. They want their full per game salary. But it appears based on the proposals we've seen from ownership, that they have a certain amount of money that they are prepared to pay per game. And as I've mentioned here several times, the owners are going to run out of money after the players. Players will run out first. So if somebody is going to win this, if they aren't truly going to negotiate and meet in the middle, then the owners are going to win. If both sides are entrenched, as he said, 
the the owners are going to win. Which makes this all the more frustrating because it seems as if every proposal that the owners have given, they've said the same thing in different language, which is this is the amount of money we're willing to pay you. You guys figure out the amount of games. Mm -hmm. And while I understand that the players feel that they're going to continue to fight for what they want and you know, I admire that that they are really standing their ground against owners that definitely have more money than them and that can definitely fight this fight longer. Part of me very much admires that about the players. If they're coming back three different times with the same language, essentially the same proposal, at some point you're going to have to understand that either either you're going to accept it and take things that, that you want to control, that you're able to control, knowing that the money portion of this is not going to change, or you're just going to say, all right, we're done talking. And is it smart for the players? And I don't know. I've never done collective bargaining. But I wonder if it's smart for the players to, and as we'll hear Jeff Passon say, to die on this hill or take the long view and be reasonably conciliatory here so that when you get to negotiations after next season, you have a better chance. Because if the owners are angry and they don't get the, what they want here then they probably are going to try to get what they want after 2021. So I I think if if I were a player, and, and I'm not saying that they should take the owner's offer. I think there should be a middle ground here. Sure. That, and nobody is talking about a middle ground at all. I, I think if I were the player, I would be inclined to look at the middle ground and try to take that and then get my get a lot of what I lost back in Tony Clark's last CBA Next time. And by the way, Passon mentioned that some players are saying that they aren't going to do anything unless they get their full per game salary. I've spoken with a number of players who I'm going to call moderates. These are players who don't necessarily believe in the idea of holding out for the full prorated salary. And they have said to a man that they believe that this is a position that they... Uh, one person called it a hill that they will die on. And if they die on that hill at 48 games, that means we're going to have a 48-game season as implemented by Major League Baseball. There's going to be a grievance by the Players Association for the league not playing its fullest season. And all of the labor animus that we've seen is only going to continue, not just in this offseason, Scott, but going forward when the collective bargaining agreement expires in 2021, the possibility of a lockout or a strike in 2020. Like, it gets really, really ugly, even uglier than it's been already, if we don't get a deal done at some point here and they come to that place in the middle and figure out a number of games that's not 48. Jeff Passon last night on Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. And Michelle, we get this text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 618. I think at this point, I wish they'd just cancel the season and start working on the new CBA because at this rate, it's going to take them that long to get this deal done. And that's the that's the frustration that fans have reached. I would not be surprised if they would not. Well, I would be surprised if they wouldn't play a 48 game season, but I don't consider it a real season. I think they should play sooner rather than later. But I do believe that if you, if you don't want your players to be fully entrenched and you want to play in 2022, then you probably should try to play more than 48 this year, even if it's going to cost you a few bucks. And to think about the possibility that you could have a messier version of this in 2021 with the CBA, you and I continuously talk about the ripple effects, the residue that this is going to have on the popularity of baseball. Well, people within baseball don't think that that's 
uh, an option or a possibility, I very, very much tend to differ because not only do I understand that the world outside St. Louis, Missouri does not love baseball the way that we do, I understand the people that I know in St. Louis, Missouri that do love baseball are sick and tired of this. They are over this. And if they're feeling that way, the rest of America is feeling that way. And if we have to deal with this not only for 2020, but 2021, they're going to lose and alienate a lot of people. They are. And here's another one. This is from the perspective of the players. Actually, it's from the perspective of the fans from the 314. There's a fine line between being stubborn and stupid. The players are starting to look stupid here. And when you have one side or the other that people are taking a side against, those are feelings that are not going to go away once you step on the field. No. If anything, they're going to continue to grow. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our friend Frank Cusimano had a chance to talk to the Cardinal Chairman Bill DeWitt yesterday on 590 The Fan, and DeWitt made a couple of controversial comments. We'll talk about and hear about what he said next on 101 ESPN. You hear our really good friend Frank Cusimano every morning on our competitor, 590 The Fan, but he does a fantastic job there, and uh, we really like him, and he does... He, he gets great guests, and yesterday he got the Cardinal Chairman, Bill DeWitt, and uh, Coos had an interesting conversation with Mr. DeWitt, and it nationally got a lot of attention. Uh, it was featured on Yahoo and on CBS Sports and NBCSports.com. And the comment that Mr. DeWitt made was about the baseball industry. And Frank asked him about the players not taking this deal uh, that had been offered by the owners and continuing to respond with their own ideas. And here's what Mr. DeWitt had to say. Well, take a look at the deal the players have and don't think for a minute that the reduced payroll added money in the pockets of the owners because it didn't. Um, if you, you look at the growth and the personnel at franchises, we've grown, this is non-players in the last six years from 240 employees to 400 players have gotten approximately what they did maybe percentage wise based on revenues a little bit less but they have by far the best deal of any players in any sport that's why you see the other sports coming back pretty quickly because they're but they're aligned with the players they've got you know the more the revenue the the more the players get you know based on a on a formula we don't have that in baseball the players have always fought for whatever they can get and a negoti- individual negotiations, and it's been to their benefit. The industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest, and you know I think they understand that. They think the owners are hiding profits, this and that, and you know there's been a little bit of a distrust there. And that distrust is reasonable, and that's Mr. DeWitt yesterday with Frank Cusimato on 590 The Fan. The distrust is reasonable. Heck, in this negotiation, when ownership turned over their... Uh, numbers, they're open their books from their regional network deals, everything was redacted. There were no numbers. So the players had no idea Mm -hmm. what numbers were in there. They showed them deals, but there were no numbers. I can totally understand why players would feel that way. If you're players, what's the point of even looking at the deal if the numbers are redacted? Right. I I mean... There, there's a lot of things that have gone on between players and owners, not only during this 
set of negotiations, but throughout time, that would lead the players to have distrust with the owners. I completely agree with that sentiment. Now, Michelle, I don't want this to be thought of as a defense of Bill DeWitt. I, I, and I know you do this too, I like to take a well-rounded view of comments or situations and look at it not only from my perspective as a fan, what I see with the Cardinals building Ballpark Village and it being full and drawing 40000 a night, but I also like to take a look at it from his perspective. And the comment that he made was, the industry isn't very profitable, to be honest with you. That was the comment. Well, when you look at the Forbes valuations, which owners don't disagree with, of teams and the profit margins of teams, as an industry, last year, the profit margin for a Major League Baseball team was 15.1%. Revenues of $9.9 billion and profits of $1.501 billion. 15.1%. So when he says it's not very profitable, look at it from his perspective as a rich guy. He is in the private equity and investment vehicle business. The profit margin in that business in America, 41.2%. Trusts and estates, legal documents. Profit margin, 65.5%. Commercial leasing, profit margin, 50.3%. Gas pipeline transportation in the U.S. That's something else that Mr. DeWitt has been involved with. The profit margin, 36.1%. Venture capital and principal trading, another thing he's been involved with, 34.9%. So from his perspective, as a billionaire, Mm -hmm. he's got one business that makes 15.1%. And other businesses that make 34 or 40 or 42%, you can say, and he's not going to put it in this perspective for us, I just did that, relatively speaking, baseball isn't very profitable. If he had his $383 million in revenue invested in commercial leasing, he'd be making 50.3% profit. Instead, he's making 15% profit. So from that perspective, it's not a very profitable industry. And I think this is where we tend to get in trouble because it's hard for, I think, the players and it's hard for fans specifically to be able to rationalize that in their brains. To your point, we're looking at the expansion of Ballpark Village. We are looking at a packed Bush Stadium. We know about the television deals. That's more money than all of us can ever fathom. Mm-hmm. So when when and more profit than we could ever think if we exactly. put our money in a bank, there's no way we're getting fifteen percent. Exactly, great point. And so while Mr. Dewitt is saying that, and relative to his businesses, baseball is not very profitable, and he's being truthful with that statement. We're still looking at it, saying, but you're you're getting billion dollar deals for television. You're generating all this money because of the fan support, because of the profits that you have gotten from fans. You're expanding ballpark village you're expanding what what you've already built upon because it's been profitable so both things can be true at the same time but i think that's a difficulty with negotiations like this because you're always looking at it from your lens your perspective and it's hard for players to look at owners and say oh wow your profit margin isn't that big and you're not really generating that money when you're significantly making more than we are now Specific to these negotiations, there has obviously been a lot of consternation. And Bill DeWitt is intimately involved with these negotiations. Whether he's at the table or not, he's kind of driving the 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 owner's perspective here. So Frank asked him about these negotiations. Okay, so yesterday uh, the new offer was a 76-game season 
and the players receive 75% uh, prorated per game. Uh, the reaction that we've heard is that's actually a step back in the negotiations. That's the Players Association response. And when you heard that, that terminology or that phrase, what did you think to yourself? I thought to myself, what are they talking about? The prior offer was 60%, and this is 75 so I don't get it. Well, I think it's number of games. It's, right, 75% for fewer games, and the, the players want to play more games, and they want 100%. So for them, anything that isn't 100% is going to be satisfactory. That's the, the first thing. And the second thing is 75% of less is going to be less. It's a package deal. They're, they're, we, we, you and I started talking about this last week. It became clear that the owners have an amount of dollars to offer for the amount of games that they're going to play. Right. And what they need to do is just tell the players, okay, here's the amount of money you're going to have. You decide how many games you want to play for it. You choose. It's yeah. up to you. Dealer's choice. Randy, you've consistently talked about the power that Mr. DeWitt wields within baseball. Mm-hmm. People have said he's the most powerful guy in baseball. He's the godfather. So I wonder when he speaks on these negotiations, everyone is listening to hear what he has to say. And if you know that Bill DeWitt is saying these things, every other owner feels the same sentiments. And I wonder how that is being received within the players and the MLBPA if they're wondering, okay, we clearly have hit a brick wall here. I mean, it it was apparent before, but if Bill DeWitt is coming out saying these things publicly, we need to talk about what we're going to do moving forward. And I think one of the problems baseball has is the fact that they have people that really have no real skin in the game. Rob Manfred is a representative of owners. Mm -hmm. And Tony Clark is a representative of players. I think if you get DeWitt and Andrew Miller into a room, you probably reach an agreement a whole lot sooner. Rather than people that are making their money based on how, how they negotiate and getting the most out of it, I think you're much more likely to reach a middle ground if you have a real player and a real owner in the room negotiating together. Just send in one representative on each side. Yeah. <laughs> Let's it, get it, it done. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be that difficult. And obviously, let them have their phones. Don't send them in without phones so that they can text the other players. But don't even include, I don't even know why they bother with Tony Clark and Rob Manfred. Don't even include those guys in the process. They aren't, they aren't in it for anybody but themselves. That's true. But... Well, and, and, well, I shouldn't say that because they they, they represent. They yeah. want to win. Yes. They're in it to absolutely get the win. I knew what you meant. But for other owners, even though Mr. DeWitt does wield all of this power and they're aware of it, sending him in to be the only guy to do it, that's an ego yeah. thing, right? It's always an, it's always about money and it's always about ego. Yeah. And once again, courtesy 590, the fan and Frank Cusimano, who did a, always does a great job, yes. but uh, he has a great relationship with Bill DeWitt. So we appreciate him and them. Next up, as we approach Sunday and uh, the long-gone summer documentary about Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, Todd Hollinsworth is a former Cub, and he had a chance to watch the entire season unfold. And the former NL Rookie of the Year and current Marlins analyst on Fox Sports Florida will join us next on 101 ESPN. Now it's time for Long Gone Summer on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Tracy Bibb and Allstate Insurance. Text QUOTE to 65780 to see how you can save. 
With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Back in 1996, Todd Hollinsworth won the National League Rookie of the Year Award with the Dodgers. And two years later, was observing the sport as Matt, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa pursued Roger Maris' record of 60 home runs in a season. 61 home runs in a season. And Todd had a great career. Now he's an analyst for the Marlins on FS Midwest. And kind enough to join us here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Todd, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? Absolutely. I'm doing fantastic. Good morning to you guys. Well, let's start with this before we get into Long Gone Summer, the documentary that's coming up. Uh, how are you feeling about baseball in 2020? You think we're going to have something more than a 48-game season? Well, I, I, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a great question. I think that I teeter on keeping my sanity. Um, I, I don't want to go there if we don't play in my own mind because we haven't reached that point yet. But, you know, it, it's hard to ignore the news that's out there. And, you know, everything that's going on seems to be negative in a, in a, in a lot of ways. But I do remain optimistic. I remain very, very positive in the sense that, you know, I lived through 94, 95. I was part of what happened then. Um, at the end of the day, we finally got through it and we got back out on the field. And I think that's the most important thing. Todd, kind of a combination question. We're talking about long gone summer about the McGuire Sosa home run chase. And a lot of people say that that saved baseball in a lot of ways. Are you worried that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just in complete and total agreement with you. There's no (laughs) doubt about it. Uh, I was actually just telling some friends about this the other day and, you know, in regards to, you know, uh, there being a shutdown, you know, Lost was the, you know, the great run by the Montreal Expos in 1994. Lost was a lot of things that, that happened in between. I, you know, I think your average fan, I think your Cardinal fan, your Dodger fan, your Yankee fan, they don't really want to hear about how money is going both ways when you're talking about people who are very, very successful and have obviously uh, have done pretty well for themselves financially that they can't work it out and get themselves back out on the field. I think at the end of the day, the average fan doesn't want to hear about it. They just want to, they just want their baseball games. Completely agree with you. So if, if we look at the fact that it took this unbelievable and riveting home run chase to, quote, save baseball at that time, are you worried about what the popularity of baseball will look like if and when we don't get the season that fans are hoping for? Well, I, you know, I've spent, unfortunately, too much time sitting and pondering and thinking as we've kind of waited this thing out, um, you know, to get these guys back out on the field, what it would look like. And I, you know, the one thing that I remind people, even here in South Florida, and, and I remind myself, and not that I want to remind Cardinal fans at all, at all but it, it, think about this for one second. If they don't play, if there's not one game, we'll have gone 17 months before even the hope of a game that matters at the major league level and that's assuming that everything goes smoothly this winter and that they're back out on the field april 1st next year 17 months without major league baseball in this country i mean i don't know i mean i don't know how you would retain fans i mean the only thing that i could possibly think is that you're going to lose a large percentage of your fan base and you've got a lot of healing to do and here's the thing sosa and mcguire is Special as that run was, all things considered, you know, you can eliminate, you know, at the time we didn't know what was going on. I'm just speaking to the moment. Mm -hmm. But my point merely is, you know, we were watching something that had never been done before. And, you know, chicks dig the long ball. Everything (laughs) kind of came from this. And home runs are a huge part of our game today. I I don't think that... if Sosa and McGuire did it today, I don't think it has... It's pulling in fans the same way that it did back in the, you know, the late 90s. 
Former Major Leaguer Todd Hollinsworth, now an analyst on Fox Sports Florida for the Marlins, joining us on 101 ESPN. And Todd, I just get a vision of you guys out in L.A. during that 98 season, watching the Cardinals or the Cubs playing earlier. And I have to believe, because you guys are fans too, that you had the Cardinal or the Cubs game on. What were you guys thinking as you're watching all of this unfold that summer? Well, we, I mean, we were all getting wrapped up in it as well. I mean, I think that we will, you know, listen, speaking to the beginning and the, you know, the, the, the process of, you know, where we're, we're starting and stopping, meaning we're, we're getting back out on the field in 95 to, you know, jumping forward to what McGuire and Sosa did that year. Uh, I mean, we were all captivated in between innings, running into the clubhouse to see what's going on, who did this. I mean, we loved the matchups as well, you know. When, when, when Cubs and Cards were going head to head, I mean, you couldn't have two better teams and their superstar, you know, their superstar slugger in the middle of the lineup. I mean, it was, it was the perfect combination. I mean, you know, listen, baseball purists might argue it. You know, if you could have had a Yankee and a Red Sox, maybe it would have been a little bit better. But I'll tell you what, I mean, having lived my life somewhat in the Midwest for a long period of time, uh, listen, you couldn't ask for more from Sosa and you certainly couldn't have asked more from McGuire. I, I was sitting here thinking just before we came on air, uh, I, I, there was one particular game. I don't remember what game it was, but it, it hadn't been done many times. I watched Mark McGuire from, I was playing first base that day. I was an outfielder, you know, basically my entire life. I think I made about 20 starts, if that many, at first base. And I had the privilege of playing first base at Dodger Stadium when Mark McGuire hit a ball out of Dodger Stadium. I, I mean, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Todd Hollinsworth is with us on 101 ESPN. I was just thinking as you played first base, that year, Todd, McGuire had more home runs than he had singles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you I mean, it was, it was absolutely first. amazing. I mean, you you know, guys would come out early to watch batting practice. I mean, <laughs> you just, this was this is what it was when, 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 you know, Mark was in town. I mean, we all, like, planned early to get out because we wanted to watch BP, and this is when guys took it every time. So, so it was the same way. I mean, this just changed our sport, and it made it what it is today. It really is. I mean, think about what we what, what we talk about. I mean, we've we've almost changed the course of, of of really even how these younger players play our sport. You know, I grew up in a generation where strikeouts were bad. You know, really, really bad. We didn't. You know, we were always about putting the ball in play, and you know, it, it started to kind of kind of creep into that. You know, three true outcomes with the homer, you know, the strikeout, and the walk. And I mean, it's basically the game that we watch today, and that's kind of what I meant by. You know, the fact that I'm not sure that, you know, McGuire and Sosa could save baseball if there was a work stoppage or if this didn't happen this year. I think that there's an awful lot at stake because the collective bargaining agreement's up after next season as well. So I don't know how you even lead into positive conversations knowing that, you know, everything seems to be kind of, uh, you know, lines in the sand right now. Dad, I can hear it in your voice as you recount running into the to the clubhouse so everyone could watch and see what McGuire and Sosa were doing. It was such an exciting time. It really was. But now mm-hmm. that we're sitting here in 2020 and we know what we know and we know that performance enhancers were used and they were a part of the reason that that was able to happen. Do you look back on it any differently? Does it change the way you view that time? Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I don't think that it does. I do just, uh, you know, I think I've always maintained the same sense that I had back then, which, you know, we all had a sense that things in our sport weren't particularly right. Um, you know, it's a question I've been asked a million times. It's like, you know, that, you know, performance enhancing drugs are there. You know, that guys are using them. Did I ever see a guy use them? No, I didn't. You know I mean? That, that, you know, that's the thing. And it's like, so you're sitting there 
okay, is it this guy? Is it that guy? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? Wow, he had a really, really good winner. Boy, he put on 30 pounds of muscle. How'd that happen? You know what I mean? It's like those are the questions that you ask yourself. But, I mean, none of us were sitting in clubhouses watching guys do these things. Most of this stuff, all of it, at least in my lifetime and in my clubhouses, was done behind you know closed doors. So you just didn't know who to point the finger at. It didn't change, um, you know, what we were living through at that time, which was an incredible surge, you know, in, in fan popularity. Uh, TV ratings were going through the roof. Everything seemed to be going right. And for what everybody knew to be wrong about the game or maybe how this was going down, um, I think m- most people look back at it and think, I'm not sure where baseball would be without this run. I, I do hold a very, very uh, – you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for, in my mind, the players that missed out. You know, and I guess that's really what it comes down to. I mean, it, at the end of the day, there's guys that did things to their bodies and, and took things to enhance their performance. Not only enhance it, probably create opportunity for themselves at the major league level. But for myself, you know, watching this go down, I know there's a lot of guys that worked really, really hard in the minor leagues to get to the big leagues that were never afforded that opportunity because other things were going on. Todd, one of the cool things about the story with McGuire and Sosa is that we all expected here in St. Louis that McGuire was going to break that record that year. It was kind of a weird thing. We went through the offseason saying, okay, well, he's this is the year he's going to break Maris's record. But even though Sammy had hit the three previous years, 36, 40, and 36, we really didn't see Sammy coming. So to have the guy that you right. expected to do it and then to have the unexpected story, I think made it more right. compelling. Oh, and there, yeah, I can agree with you 100%. Um, you know, listen, I, I played with Sammy. I, I know how Wrigley Field plays, but it's a hot summer. And I'll tell you, I know that that was a hot summer that year. Ball was flying out of there. I, I've seen it cold. I've seen it hot. You definitely want it hot as a hitter. Uh, a lot of things were going were going both of their ways. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you even look at, you know, you know, you get into, you know, just the mechanics of what they were doing. I mean, their game planning at the plate was, was, was just right where it needed to be. They had guys in the lineup that were giving them opportunities to, you know, go up there and have those at bats. And, 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 uh, when you kind of get that moment where you're thinking really, really clear as a hitter, it is so much fun to play our sport at the highest level. And it just seemed to me that both of them were just locked in all season long. I mean, watching them over and over and over again. So sad. I think I mean I, it would probably fair to say that at least twenty thirty percent of his home runs were to right right center field for Sosa. I mean that's that's a guy who's staying on the ball. He's not just out there pulling everything, you know, getting out, getting the barrel out in front of the baseball. That's a guy who's you know putting together good at bats and game planning pretty well. And between the two of them, it was one epic chase. Todd, I know you played with Sammy after the home run chase, but we've been hearing a lot about Mark McGuire and what he was like as a teammate. So give us some perspective into Sammy Sosa. What was it like to play with him? Guy's a big personality. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, I think that he probably in some regards, I mean, we're all byproducts of, you know, the environment and the world that we kind of create around ourselves. And I think that for Sammy, uh, that was a really, really fun year. I, I think that what kind of happened to Sammy, um, that maybe didn't happen to Mark in the same way, you know, maybe how he's perceived was just the simple fact that, you know, Manny was this was center stage in Chicago because he was performing on some teams that were basically underperforming. So it became the Sammy show. And I think many Cubs fans would tell you for the, the run that he had in Chicago, it was as much about going to see Sammy play ball and Mark Grace and some of the other guys, but I'm not sure it was always about winning. And it was probably just more about, especially at least that year about Sammy hitting home runs. 
and that's what the you know the overriding uh, you know theme was in my my time with him. There were expectations; we were expected to win. So, I mean, I got I was there in '04, and uh, you know they were fresh off of uh, my Marlins club in '03, which had kind of knocked them out in the, in the NLCS. Thank you. But there was some, I mean, right? Yes, I mean <laughs> there were some people that were just really really excited for the '04 group to you know really uh, you know pick up where the you know 03 season ended i mean there was a lot of expectation and sammy was certainly part of that so you know my view of sammy there was different than i think than what sammy necessarily dealt with leading up to those years of uh of more of a you know a team philosophy i want to see this team win 95 games it was probably a little bit more about hey hey sammy how many home runs are you going to hit this year <laughs> every spring because the cardinals and marlins share the facility down in jupiter todd hollins will do a game with dan mclaughlin and todd danny mac yeah. does our uh he does the show after us here on 101 espn but we always enjoy your work we appreciate you taking some time with us today and reminiscing always please give danny my best and my best to you guys as well keep our fingers crossed and our prayers uh <laughs> pointed in the right direction we got to get baseball back on the field you got that right thank you sir have a great day Thanks so much. Take care. That's Todd Hollinsworth, analyst for the Marlins on Fox Sports Florida, joining us here on the Broad and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. He was great, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Sammy Sosa's personality come out in this documentary. Because like mm-hmm. I was saying to Todd, we, we know Mark McGuire. We've seen a lot of Mark McGuire, but it seems like everyone that we've spoken to that played with Sammy Sosa talks about what a big personality he was. So I hope we get to see that in the doc. By the way, we have some appointment listening for you tomorrow after the fight at 845. Mark McGuire will join us here with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. So we're looking forward to speaking to Big Mac about the long gone summer. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have a Tioli for Michelle and I, we would love to hear from you. And Colin is going to deliver them. Colin, sorry, take it away. So Jameis Winston tells Bleacher Report that historically, I'm one of the best quarterbacks to ever play this game. You'll remember last season that Jameis Winston became the first ever member of the 30-30 club. That's 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. Irrational confidence from Jameis Winston surprises you. Take it or leave it. Oh, I'm totally going to leave it. This is a guy that had the audacity to go pick up crab legs and just walk right out of a grocery store. And really face no consequences. No, it's, that's <laughs> irrational confidence if ever there was such a thing. Yeah, I'm leaving it wholeheartedly. I think James Winston is one of these guys that was very athletically gifted and probably had this entire bubble around him his entire life telling him how great he is. And just like we just talked about with Todd Hollinsworth, you're a product of your environment. And if James Winston has been in this bubble, this... You think about his time at Florida State. How how many people around him were like, you are the best. Mm-hmm. You are the best. So, of course, he thinks he's the best. He's not looking at his stat line. He's not looking at the fact that he's in the 30-30 club and saying, maybe I should chill out a little bit with the things that I'm saying. I'm not that great. He, he In his mind, he thinks he's that great. And here's one of the issues. I think it's an issue that he faces is that actually he has been. And of all people, it was Tony Dungy who pointed this out, and I looked at it. If you look at the first five years of Peyton Manning's career and the first five years of Jameis Winston's career, they're almost identical Wow! in terms of touchdowns, interceptions, yards. 
He just hasn't played on as good a team. Now, if he gets an opportunity to go and play behind Breeze and under Peyton and grows up, he can be really, really great. I think the thing with Jameis that I always fall back on is that he's just unreliable. He's unreliable yep. on and off the field. So if you're a fr- if you're a franchise, you don't feel good about putting stock in Jameis. And if he doesn't throw it away in the last two games last year, they're in the playoffs. Tampa Bay's in the playoffs. He personally was responsible for them losing those last two games with three pick sixes in the last two games. There's been a lot of negativity surrounding baseball, but how about this text on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780? Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will have the best record in Major League Baseball, the best ERA, and make it to the World Series in 2020. Whoa. Take it. Well, I'm not going to leave it. If you're taking it, I'll take it too. Got to take it. Here's the thing. Put it out in the world. Is that what we're thinking? The Yankees Yankees are going to be good, but they aren't going to have as good an ERA. And the Yankees, by the time we get through 48 games of the regular season and then, what, the 26 or whatever in the postseason, 28, uh, the Yankees will be all beat up, so they aren't going to be as good. What about the Dodgers? uh, The Dodgers, they can't pitch. They can't starting pitch like the Cardinals can. Houston won't be able to cheat without fans in the stands, right? There's going to be, everybody will know. They'll hear them banging the trash cans, yeah. So that that hurts But what about the buzzer? What about the devices? Those are under the clothes. That's kind of a scary thing. Yeah, That might be the biggest threat to the Cardinals' dominance in 2020. Technology? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I hate to do this. I was actually texting with a Cubs fan last night. A 48-game season benefits the Cubs more than any other franchise because of their lack of depth. With only really five starting pitchers and not an old, awful lot of depth behind their starting eight, less opportunity to get hurt and not having the grind of a six-month season, having a two-month season, really benefits the Cubbies. But we're still taking the Cardinals. Yeah. Okay, good. Great text here from the 314. Take it or leave it. We'll see an, We'll see someone with another 700 home run career before we see someone with another 70 home run season. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, and that's really good. I think I'll take it. I think I'll take it, too. I just, can you imagine anyone doing what McGuire did again? No. And I don't think that pitchers would or managers would pitch to guys they they aren't going to give him the opportunity somebody the opportunity to hit 70 the the one true outcome at bat has changed things but here's the other thing is that like albert if albert would have stayed reasonably healthy he would have been a 700 uh, 700 home run guy but if you average if you have some really good years have some 40 and 50 home run years play for 20 years and average 35 a year that's 700 there you go A teenage millionaire recently made some news by building himself a real-life Dr. Octopus suit, giving him an additional four arms. Having an extra arm is better than having an extra leg. Take it or leave it. Is this the easiest take it or leave it ever? Probably. You gotta take that. You gotta take it. Who needs an extra leg? Right. It might even cause problems having an extra leg, unless you're Greg Oden. (laughs) But... Having a couple of extra Crazy. arms. And My coffee has not kicked in yet. We do not have. <laughs> Think about this. You, you wouldn't even have to pick up. Jokes. Like you wouldn't have to get a cart at the grocery store. You, if you have like six arms, you just go through the grocery store and pick up what you need. You got all six, uh, eight items. You never even have to have a cart. produce the fast lane and i can't tell you how many times a week i heard that song 
kind of got it on the same beat as the bed that we have underneath, too. That yeah, was nice. nice. Yeah. The remix. <laughs> how, many, I, how many guys, and there are some out there, but how many guys have the nickname Tripod? <laughs> you know what? I don't want to know how many. <laughs> how many? <laughs> I really don't. Um, back to the uh, extra arm, though. Yes. Let's just, you know. <laughs> And do the octopus thing. It's not just one extra arm. Was it four extra or two extra? Four. Four, four extra, extra arms. arms. That's incredible. Do you know how many moms out there are probably like, yeah, give me the extra arm. Right. I can be handing somebody a snack, cleaning the counter, and holding a baby at the same time. Yeah. So you got an extra, even four extra legs. That's not going to be any good. Here's the real question. Where would the other arm come from? Would it be coming out of your side? Would you want it in the front or the yeah, back? I think you have... Uh, Just like kind of a layered approach, like a spider? I would, yeah. I, I would want like two coming, one each out of each hip, and maybe uh, one each between the hip and the where the shoulder is. Okay, but if it's coming out of your hip, think about what your pants would look like. Oh, that's a good point. You'll have to have special pants made. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, okay. do I le- leave my other arm sleeveless if it's coming out of my hip? Do we give it a sleeve? I wonder if you could have, like, longer arms that come out of the front of your shirt. But you're still going to have to have different shirts anyway. You're going to have to do something, right? That's what, But I'm saying from you want it to be in a spot that's beneficial to you. If you're right. going to have an extra arm, you need it to be in a place where it's easy for you to grab things and whatnot. And I'm wondering, you know, from the hip, it really limits your range of motion. You can only really grab right. things at a certain height or True. pass things off. I mean, it's not going to help you play sports if it's coming out of your hip. I don't know how you do this. That's what I'm saying. And if it's coming out of the front, that is a hindrance. Block your face. I think if I'm a goalie, I'll take that extra hand at the hip. Get a couple gloves going on if you're a hockey player. Here's the play. Have it come out of your shoulder. So you have two out of there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because then yep. it, you can reach higher. You can. It doesn't obstruct your face. It's still... You know, your shirts are rel- relatively the same. Right. How about if you have, like, two that are right? Uh, and I know this is going to look weird, but it's going to look weird anyway. you got four extra arms, right? <laughs> so <laughs> one right above your hips so that you can kind of, um, like, cut your shirt so that you have your, your shirt goes over that. And then coming out of your head right above your ears. Seems heavy. Yeah, you won't feel it, though. I don't know. I get a headache when I wear a baseball hat too long. Okay. I can't imagine an arm coming out of there. Tough, yeah. <laughs> an Italian soccer player made some news yesterday by showing up to his former team's practice facility just one day after that team had released him. He showed up ready to work, even though he was fired. Showing up to your former employer after being fired and acting like nothing ever happened is the best way to get your job back. Take totally. it or leave it. Got it. That's Costanza. Yeah, you got to take that. Nothing ever happened. Just here to work, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking it too. I think that's totally the play. As a matter of fact, I think an athlete doing that is awesome. Just show up in the locker room like you never got released. Go to your locker. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Put on the jersey. I'm ready, coach. Put me in. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. A lot going on today. Michelle and I will have a fresh take of the day next on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.